You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my gosh. Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it. Players, coaches, insiders. Let's go. And of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy duddies. Now, swag. Here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. Horsin' Around for week three. I'm Andrew Mason. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started with friend of the program, Paul Klee of the Colorado Springs Gazette. You might have heard our conversation back in week one in the Broncos Audio Zone, previewing the season. Paul's back for more right now as we break down Broncos Ravens. Before we get this started, I've got to share with you and the listeners, I've shared it with you, but the listeners haven't heard this, a message that we got. Someone called in to our show, First and Ten ten on Orange and Blue 760, and said that the conversation they heard you and I having on the podcast before week one was the best conversation they heard (laughs) between a couple of writers talking sports. And I was really flattered by that. They didn't want to go on the air. They just wanted to call in and pass that (laughs) along. And that that kind of blew me away a little bit, my friend. Yeah, that makes me feel good, man. That that, uh, brightens my day a little bit. I I appreciate who it was that called in. And, um, you know, maybe some of that comes from the fact that we've sat together now through six Bronco seasons <laughs> at every single game for six years. So it's just a normal conversation between two guys. We've seen almost everything. I, I won't say we've Whew. seen everything. You're Fortunately, right about that. we haven't because we haven't seen a really bad season. I mean, 5-11 and 11 last year mm-hmm. was tough for the Broncos, but being from Tampa, I know what a really bad <laughs> season is. Last year wasn't it. Maybe... It was by Broncos standards. So we've seen a lot. We've seen a tough year last year, like I mentioned. Two games in. I'm not ready to say it's a complete revival, but there are some good indications right now. The arrow is, the arrow is pointing up. I, I do think it's close to that we've seen everything because it's, it's been remarkable that we witnessed, um, and everybody listening to this witnessed as well, you know, the probably the greatest offense that we might ever see oh. and that we have seen to this point. And then a couple of years later, you see what I would call um, it's the best defense that, that I've ever seen mm-hmm. because of the load that they had to carry because of what was on the other side just didn't produce. Um, we've seen a lot of quarterback switches. <laughs> we've seen a handful of head coaches come through. We've seen really good rookies and we've seen rookies that shouldn't be here. So, um, I think overall, right now, there's a better vibe in here right now than at any point since the Super Bowl season. And I think that's because um, guys like Cortland Sutton, Bradley Chubb, and Phil Lindsay um, are the best things to happen to this organization since the Super Bowl season. That's a bold statement, but it's hard to argue with it. Mm -hmm. Considering, with all respect to the people that have come in the last couple of years, Mm It has taken this group of rookies to really not change the culture, but revive it. Mm-hmm. I think Bradley Chubb, Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, and of course the inimitable Philip Lindsay, <laughs> these are guys that not just because of their talent, but because of their character, their diligence, and their study habits would have fit in so well on a Peyton Manning-led mm-hmm. team. 
in terms of how they study the game, they meet his standard. I'll tell you a story that just came from a few minutes ago. Steve Atwater, Ryan Edwards, and I were talking to Cortland Sutton uh, for a segment that airs Friday on Orange and Blue 760 and will probably be on DenverBroncos.com at some point in the Broncos audio zone. And he talked about watching film. I asked him, how is it different now? Because you don't have classes. You don't have all the other stuff going on that you have in college. Basketball. All, right, exactly. <laughs> playing power forward in practice for Larry Brown. You're playing football, and that's it. That is your job. That is the core of your responsibilities in life right now. And he talked about how he watched film at SMU, and he always prided himself on his study, but he didn't know how to watch film until he got to the Broncos, got around some pros like Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas, had a coach like Zach Azani telling him what to look for to the point now where he says, hey, I could be watching a play for the sixth, seventh, tenth time, whatever, and I'm seeing something I did not see before. When, when the Broncos' defense was really good, that was the same thing we heard from Bradley Roby. Yes. And he would talk about how um, Aqib Talib, who's known as you know a bit of a maniac in some circles, was the most studious and intelligent football guy that he'd been around because of his study habits and when Akib would talk to us and he would use that phrase a premium look it was something that he had seen several times and knew what was coming and it was often you know he made the pick six at the Jets a few years back to finish that game off Um, I can't remember who threw it it was Geno Smith classic example of a quarterback who was playing checkers Uh and a corner who was playing chess. He set him up for three quarters and then he just capped the game. And a lot of people were really really happy as well because it covered the spread. (laughs) Those were the text messages that I got after that. Al Michaels would have had a comment if he was calling that game. Right, it was a premium look in a lot of different ways. Some of which Aki was not aware of or paying attention to. Um, I, I think this game... I always circle this game. I really, really enjoy Broncos-Ravens game. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One, because I think the two franchises share some similar characteristics. Yes. Um, I think Gary Kubiak would speak to that. And that's why um, he was successful um, in both places. Um, But if you go back the last 20 years, there are very few matchups that have given us the kind of entertainment value that these matchups have. And I don't just include, you know, that seven-touchdown game to open the season a couple years ago or Darian Stewart's pick at the goal line a couple years ago as well during the Super Bowl season. You go back to, like, 2000, right, with Shannon Mm -hmm. Sharp, the tip touchdown. Yes. When he's playing for the Ravens. A day the Broncos definitely want to forget. Yes. Gus Farratt struggling mightily (laughs) against that great Ravens defense. Yes, and so these – and then I'm not going to speak of the mile-high mistake because we don't need to go through that. It's still too soon for a lot of people, I think, which is not an exaggeration. It's still too soon for some people. We brought it up on Thursday morning Mm -hmm. near the top of our show, and we were getting texts and tweets saying, please don't. Yeah. No, there's there's a lot of truth to that, that this series also brings back – the worst memory, I think, worse than the Jaguars game because in my mind, there's no doubt the Broncos were the best team in football that year. So um, there's, but anyway, the last 20 years, you think of all the different times, and and the reason is, these teams usually have really good players, like mm-hmm. superstar type players, Super Bowl winning players, and 
This game is very interesting to me. It's one I look forward to, one, because I like going to Baltimore. I really enjoy that city, and I enjoy their fans. But I think it's an extremely competitive game we're going to see on Sunday. Think about this, Mace. The Ravens have an extraordinary ability to expose the Broncos' identity. When the Broncos play Baltimore, you know what kind of Broncos team you have. True. That first game in 2015, defensive struggle, 19-13. to Stewart mm-hmm. makes a great play at the goal line because Flacco's about to put it away. Mm. 2013, the Broncos, seven touchdown passes the yeah. first game. You knew from that point on what kind of operation you were going to see this season. Interesting you mentioned that 2013 game. It was the Ravens' first game of their first season ever without Ray Lewis. Remember, they drafted Ray Lewis the spring that they moved from Cleveland to Baltimore and in NFL record books set up shop as an expansion team because the Browns' history stayed in Cleveland. Baltimore was a new franchise with the Ravens in 96. So that was the first season the Ravens had ever started without Ray Lewis. You know what's weird about that is I believe Ray Lewis's first college game was in Boulder with the Canes. I think the Canes played in Boulder. I know he played up there at a boatload of tackles. Mm-hmm. And I think it might have been his first game in college. Would that have been 92 or 93? Somewhere around then because right the buffs were rolling as well. Yeah. That's how McCartney you get Miami was still to come the coach. <laughs> Yeah. I have a vague memory of it. I'd have to go back and look at it. Mm-hmm. But obviously the game would have been on TV down in Florida where I lived at the time. And yep. I'm sure I he was saw a freshman. part of it. I know he was a freshman. Yeah. But so to go anyway. but, but to go back to my point on Ray Lewis, the Ravens are a five hundred team since Ray Lewis's retirement. Wow, that is interesting. Since stuff. the Super Bowl. It's funny because you hear a lot of people say they're a five hundred team since Super Bowl forty seven. Mm-hmm. I view it as they are a five hundred team since Ray Lewis retired. That is a really he he's going to be there on Sunday. Yes, he's getting his Hall of Fame ring mm-hmm. at halftime. So that sermon is coming. At some point, the Ravens' current squad is getting a Ray Lewis sermon at some point. Yeah, and it whether, might be Friday, it might be right. Monday, Sunday before the game. Does Saturday that impact night. things? It seemed to work for a really long time. <laughs> but he's not playing linebacker, and C.J. Mosley might not be playing linebacker depending on how that's his health deal. is. That's a big deal, and that's deal. huge. Mm-hmm. Michael Pierce missed a couple of days of practice this week, playing outstanding. On the interior, I think watching the Ravens so far this year, I think he's their best defensive lineman. And he's even their best pass rusher in terms of creating hurries, creating discomfort for the opposing quarterback. And he hasn't practiced. It's a Ravens defense that isn't going to have all of its tools in the drawer, Mm -hmm. potentially, when they play this game. But yeah, Ray Lewis, his ability to give an epic speech... That's a wild card factor I had not really thought about until you mentioned it, but it's something that could prove integral to determining this game, especially one that I think for both teams, this is a total fork in the road moment for their seasons that they could be, either one could be on its way to playoffs, division title with a win. Either one could be at the precipice of a struggle if they lose there's a there's a feeling out there and i know because i've gotten emails and tweets and and phone calls about it and it's demarius thomas has become the most polarizing figure in the locker room with a lot of fans with fans not with his teammates no absolutely not he's a model teammate you can't draw him up better than dt 
but with his fans. And this is why I think it's important that Demarius Thomas's role does not change this week. That entire Ravens culture is built around the, the intimidation factor. Mm-hmm. It's an intimidating place to play. And part of that is because they usually have good players. But it, when they're successful, they're a team that other guys don't want to deal with for four quarters. That doesn't bother Demarius. You know, he's, he's had the Seahawks now for a handful of years. He's played the Ravens a bunch. He's dealt with the Pats holding and clutching and grabbing how many times. I think this is a game, actually, you need to have Demarius directly involved. Now, if it doesn't play out like you'd hope it would, then you have to really evaluate what it is that he does. But I think this is an important game that Demarius Thomas is involved because he will stand up against that kind of, that's what they're going to do. Ray Lewis is there. They, They look good the first two weeks. They really do. They look like an offensive power. In a lot of ways, at least in the passing game. If they can figure out how to run the ball. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting stat I saw on Thursday, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, Alex Collins, their leading rusher with a pedestrian 48 yards right now. Lamar Jackson is actually second on Baltimore in rushing with 45. Alex Collins has seen eight men or more in the box 62.5% of the time when they carry the ball. So they need to do things to spread defenses out. But what is interesting is with Michael Crabtree, Willie Sneed, John Brown, they actually have the weaponry to do that. Maybe none of them is a number one receiver, but they're like the baseball rotation that maybe doesn't have the ace, but has three twos. And that can be better sometimes than having one ace and then having a big drop to two and three. What we'll see, I feel pretty confident in this prediction. I do not feel confident in my game prediction at all whatsoever. Joe Flacco is going to try and take the lid off on the first series. With John Brown, probably. Yes. He will send him down the right or the left sideline and hope that he's matched up against the third corner, whoever that's going to be. And that's going to be a part of the very first series. I don't have any doubt about that because Brown can really, really go. And his completion percentage on deep balls is pretty good as well. And that's how you can get that stadium stoked and ignited. And when they do have the fans involved there, as they will for a Ray Lewis reunion return game, it's a factor. As much as a lot of places in the NFL, it's a factor. And you mentioned the crowd. It's a crowd that wants a reason to believe. It's been an interesting last year in Baltimore. We talked with Jerry Coleman of 105.7 The Fan out in Baltimore on Wednesday. You can actually hear that in the Thursday Broncos Audio Zone. And he mentioned how the fan passion hasn't been quite the same in about a year. They've had to deal with no-shows for the first time really in that franchise's history. Some of it was on the field. It was a competitive team, but not a particularly engaging or explosive team last year some of it as jerry told us was off the field people were unhappy that in that first game after donald trump's comments that led to a lot of players kneeling that the ravens players they were in london to play the jaguars kneeled for the star spangled banner and stood for god save the queen and it probably didn't help that they played against the jaguars an elite team and got the doors blown off them, losing 44-7. And that ever since then, 
there's been kind of a lukewarm embrace mm-hmm. from the fans to the Ravens, which is something that goes unlike anything we've seen with the Baltimore Ravens over their 23 seasons in Maryland. I think there's a lot to that in these traditional, I don't want to say East Coast because I think it's true in Green Bay, where fans are torn and they, they're not exactly sure if it's worth their money if it's going to become a showcase for player beliefs. I've seen it with my Wisconsin family, you know, that side of the family that's diehard Packers fans with tickets forever and ever. Philly, we saw that last year. Now that the Eagles won a Super Bowl, maybe those all is forgiven, Mm -hmm. right? I think the point of it is if you win, you're not going to have no shows. Yeah. That's, That's what the deal is. And if John Harbaugh were a guy, they'd move on. If they fired him, they moved on. That dude would have a job in two hours. <laughs> if that. It would not take long for him to be a head coach again. I mean, he could name his spot, but if he wanted to be back and they let him go, it would be lickety split. And you know, this is year 11 for him, so it's wow. coming to the point where you start That's wondering, wild. okay, is the message growing a bit stale at the same time? Mm-hmm. You're also regenerating the roster a little bit. It reminds me a little of what the Broncos have tried to do the last couple of years in terms of bringing explosiveness to the team. Last year it was unsuccessful. This year it looks like it will be successful. In Baltimore, even though they're 1-1, one one, they dug themselves an early hole in Cincinnati and Buffalo, I'm not sure how much I can take from that Buffalo game. Because that week, Buffalo did not look like an NFL team. <laughs> no, Starting Nathan something. Peterman at quarterback. Poor guy could barely get out of his own way. But with a John Brown on the outside, eventually when they get back Hayden Hurst, I think that's sort of holding them back a little bit. But with John Brown on the outside, uh, Michael Crabtree, you know, he brings a dose of attitude mm-hmm. to the receiving position. This is a team that looks a lot more explosive and dynamic than it did last year. I like these Ravens more than most. And, you know, maybe some of that is, I don't want to say recency bias because it spans 20 years. (laughs) The Broncos have historically had a very difficult time with the Ravens. Yes. Now, if you ask the Ravens side, they would say the Ravens have historically had a difficult time with the Broncos. (laughs) And I, I think that it is a low-key, undervalued kind of exchange between these two. You, you moved a coach from side to side. One of Gary Kubiak's first moves and one of his best moves was bringing Darian Stewart in here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, has he lost a step? Yeah, he has lost a step, but he makes up for it because he's really intelligent and he's really sharp and he studies like a fool. So, and I mean that in a good way. He, I like Darian Stewart. I would want him on my team. There's a lot of similarities there that they seem to give and take from each other. The styles have been different. The Broncos are an offensive franchise for the most part. The Ravens made their name on defense. Mm-hmm. I think this Ravens team is a scary team. I also, as we talked about last time, I think this Broncos team is better than most people realize. And I think this is one of the best games we're going to see on the schedule. And it's a very hard to predict game. Extremely hard to predict. I've gone back and forth with this in my mind. Now, in the preseason, I had this as a loss Mm -hmm. simply because of the history behind the Broncos going to Baltimore 
to face the Ravens. They had a decent history against the Colts going to Baltimore. Not so much against the Ravens. They only have the one win in 2012 when uh, Chris Harris Jr. had the pick six mm-hmm. 97 in the yards. second quarter. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I remember about that game is I was writing for the Sporting News, and they wanted a story about Joe Flacco, whether he was a lead or not. The discussion that won't go away is Joe Flacco Good timing a lead. on that one. And, I, and, of course, after that game, I'm writing a story saying he's not a lead. I kind of hate the hot take, broad statement like that, but that's what they wanted, so I wrote I wrote the story. And then a month later, Joe Flacco is going Super over the top champion. in the game that will not be mentioned. Yeah. But it is such a fascinating rivalry. And there's another aspect of this, Paul, looking at the last, say, nearly 20 years. Going back to the 2000 season, there have been four Super Bowls won by teams that were more defense than offense. Two by Baltimore, one by the 2013 Seattle Seahawks, and one by the 2015 Denver Broncos. Mm -hmm. They have to be historically good to do it. Multiple Hall of Famers. Yes, multiple playing Hall of at Famers. Playing at the apex. And DeMarcus Ware was only one year away from retiring, but he was at an apex point mm-hmm. in the postseason mm-hmm. of 2015. In 2000, you had, uh, obviously, you had Ray Lewis playing at his peak for the Baltimore Ravens, winning Super Bowl MVP award. Chris McAllister, just a, a secondary, you know, full of talent. And, Talent at all three levels. Remember, P- Peter Bolware, Tony Siragusa was still a good player. Michael McCrary was an outstanding player in 2000. There were standout players all around that defense. And t- even in 2012, Ray Lewis wasn't what he was, but kind of led that team in the way that Peyton Manning led the 2015 Broncos with his brain, with his heart, with his speeches. And they had Trell Suggs that was playing at a high level. And I think Terrell Suggs is going to be in the Hall of Fame conversation. Mm-hmm. That's what you need in order to do it. But these are two teams that have gone against the grain of 21st century football, winning it all with defensive-oriented clubs. You know, what happened the other night after the Raiders game was something that we haven't seen here. And um, you've been back here a little bit longer than I have. I haven't seen it before, but there was a point in the locker room scrum when they opened it up to us knuckleheads to go in there when you had a probably huddle of six or eight or ten media types around Brandon McManus, yep, around Cortland Sutton, or excuse me, Tim Patrick, mm-hmm. and around Philip Lindsay. Three undrafted guys, yep. okay? <laughs> And then Case Keenum goes over to the podium, another undrafted guy. And it got me thinking, I eventually wrote about it, the undrafteds, this idea that are they, were they the stars? No, but they're always going to have that Sunday because you had one guy who led the drive, Case Keenum, mm-hmm. that would win the game. You had one guy who made the big reception, Tim Patrick. You had a guy who was rookie of the week, Philip Lindsay. Brandon McManus from Temple. Didn't get drafted. And they were all the central figures in that drive, guys that weren't picked. Mm-hmm. Your hope is, or your optimistic feeling is, that this leads, not those guys just specifically. They could all be forgotten except for probably Philip Lindsay and Case Keenum, you know, by the end of the season. But the idea that you have a collection of 
rookies and undrafted guys that are contributing so much that it does turn the momentum from where it had been going a couple seasons out the postseason to now a sustained period of success. And that gives me the optimism that this, you talked about it being a fork in the road game, that the Broncos are taking the right direction. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's regardless of what happens in Baltimore because I think this is going to be a very difficult game to win. Yeah, and I think they're still going in the right direction even if they lose this game. Right. But here's the thing that I'm looking at. Well, there's two things. Number one, Kansas City looms right beyond that, Mm -hmm. and that's going to be a tough game with all the weaponry that the Chiefs possess on offense right now. The other thing is these two numbers, one and nine. That's your road record for the Broncos in their last 10 road trips. Wow. The only win on the road in the last 10 trips for the Broncos was at Indianapolis on Thursday night last December. And if you recall, that Indy team had just played that slog in the snow in mm-hmm. Buffalo where they just run, run, run until everybody dropped. And that was a fatigue team mm-hmm. coming back home against the Broncos who were able to capitalize on it and did not not dominate at the start, but dominate from the second quarter on, and they wore down the Colts mm-hmm. to where they were just a nub and really didn't have a chance. So for this team to go where it wants to go, it's going to have to win some road games, and doing so, basically going into the, you know, going into the lair of the beast, Baltimore, a place where you've had so little success over the last two decades, if you can get that win, I think the expectations for this team change dramatically. It, it is when, when, okay, John Elway comes out last year and calls them soft. Yeah. Okay. One and nine on the road, that's exactly what that equates to. Yes. Record-wise. The coaches say a lot of things that we roll our eyes at. The coach speak, player speak. The one thing that they're absolutely 100% right about is how difficult it is to win on the road. And I've always thought that college basketball, our favorite sport, is the one that shows that the best. (laughs) I look at a team's road record before I pick out a bracket. What they do on the road, that that shows if they're tough or not. It's the one thing that the RPI and other metrics Mm -hmm. get right. Right, the weighted. Weighing road games heavier. Right, and so this is very much a what kind of team are you? type game if you can win there you did something right you did something really right that you feel like you can do just about anywhere you know what i think is the best case scenario for this team in a lot of ways it's it's a close game in the fourth quarter and the broncos have the ball with about four minutes to go and case keenum steps into that huddle and after two games at home where you trailed in the fourth quarter and had that drive when you need it the most, they do the same thing but do it on the road with 68,000 purple and black screaming fans making your life a living hell. And if you can silence that horde with a game-winning drive right then and there, then as far as I'm concerned, the the horizon for this team would be limitless. That's what it's going to take. And then... Instead of just Todd Davis owing Vaughn a stake, Vaughn's mm. going to have to buy Case Keenum a stake if he were to do that in Baltimore. More than a stake. This maybe the bottle of <laughs> wine to go with it as well. Right. This, I mean, Todd Davis is from California. He knows good wine. There's a short list of the toughest game on the Broncos' schedule. 
Mm-hmm. The one at Kansas, the, the game at Kansas City yes. is going to be difficult because of the matchup because you don't have a third corner yet. This one might be the most difficult in my mm-hmm. mind because the Broncos, while they are a more confident outfit than this time a year ago, they're still not there yet. Yeah. And this is the kind of game that you, you figure out just how far along you are because it is so difficult to win there. Paul Klee, appreciate it, man. That was Thank good you. stuff, man. Thank you. Next up, Cortland Sutton, the rookie with the maturity of a savvy veteran. Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards joined me in the locker room this week to talk to Sutton about this weekend's game, his rookie year to date, and how he watches film in a different way than he did before. All right, we're chatting here with uh, Broncos wide receiver Cortland Sutton. Uh, that last game against Oakland, uh, first half, I'm sure was a little frustrating for you guys offensively. You guys are definitely accustomed to being a little more aggressive. What happened in the second half? Shoot, we went into halftime. Um, we realized that we weren't executing the game plan that we wanted to execute, um, that we had been practicing all week and that we knew was a solid game plan. And we got back to the, to the basics. We knew what, we, we knew what was going to work, and we knew all we had to do was go out there and execute it. And, and as you saw in the second half, we went out there and we started putting things together. And once we were able to stay on the field longer than three plays, that's when things started clicking. I think that's when our offense really starts to thrive is when we can stay on the field longer than three plays and really start to roll. That's when we start getting people on their toes and I mean on their heels, and, and then we just go, go from there. How close is this offense to that kind of breakout 60-minute performance? Shoes, any moment. I mean, I think that it's one of those things uh, we show up and the first time we touch the field, I think we have the potential to, to really have that 60-minute, uh, you know, contribution to the game and go out there and do what we're supposed to do. I think at any moment, we got so many weapons at the receiver, running back, tight end. Our O-line does an amazing job. And then, of course, Case and, and then the, the other quarterbacks um, give him the info on the sideline. We have, I mean, we, we have the potential to be to be that dominant presence at any moment. Um, you're looking at the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, what, what do you think about their, their defense, their corners, their safeties? Uh, what are your overall thoughts of them? I think that they the thing that helps them is they run a lot of things, and I think that if you don't if you don't have a group of of, of players who are bought into a group of players who are bought into um, locking into doing the extra uh, film study that it takes to be great, you can't just rely on what the coaches show you. You got to go in and do a lot of film study on yourself so that you can know what's coming, what to expect. That way, you know the quarterback, the running back. The receivers, everybody's on the same page, and I think that's the only way that you're gonna be able to to really execute against them because they're a great defense. I mean, um, they do really they do a lot of things really really well. Um, they're top top ten in, in third down, which is really good. Um, top, um, I think the nope they haven't really allowed anybody to get in the red zone, which is also really good. Um, they play they they do a lot of things really well, but you have to have a lot of guys who are bought into the details of the game of your offensive offense game plan to be able to go out and be successful. Emmanuel said in our station that one of the things that they liked about the second half is you guys got back into playing offense the way you guys do, the way your offense is supposed to look. How would you describe the offense of the Denver Broncos? I think, I'm pretty sure you probably said it, explosive. We have so many weapons um, in the running game and in the passing game, and it, it, we, we go hand-in-hand off of each other. Um, when we're running the ball really well, we pass the ball really well. When we pass the ball really well, we're able to run the ball really well. And that's, that's the same thing in any offense, but especially true in, in our offense because, we have, like I said, we have so many weapons. Um, we can open people up um, in any different um, aspect of, of our offense. So I, I def- it's definitely explosive. Um, I'm pretty sure one of our, our goals um, is to lead to the, the NFL in explosives because we just have so many weapons to be that offense. I know you've always prided yourself on your film study, but now 
you're freed of commitments for classes and, and homework and, and study halls and things like that. So what level of, are you able to get to in film study now because you can make that your entire focus as opposed to college? I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. And having somebody like Coach Azani, um, who gives us the tools to be able to, to know how to watch film. I think my biggest thing coming out of college was I would watch film, but once I got here, I realized that you know I was probably just watching film. I wasn't really understanding the aspects of how to break it down, what really to look for, and um, you know how how critical it is and the small details. We I mean we break down everything from first and five, first and ten, second and long, second and short, third and short, third and long. Everything is completely broken down. You got high red, low red. You got open field. You got all these different things that you can watch. Three by ones, two by twos all the different packages that defenses run. There are so many different things you can watch. So, I mean, Coach, uh, Coach Musgrave does a really good job. He always tells us, you know, the hay's never in the barn. There's always something you can watch. There's always something. You'll, you'll find something random that you didn't see um, the first 10 times you watched film or the times you watched film up here. So you can't just rely on the film that we watch here. You really got to go home and, and invest that extra time. And, and E-Man does a good job of, of telling our group to – to make sure we're locking in to just being able to watch a little bit of more film when you get home because um, the film we watch here isn't enough. you got to watch some more. All right, you mentioned in the last question that I asked you that uh, the team has to be on the same page and buy, and bought, and buy in to the system. Um, now, I don't know if you, know, if you can speak from personal experience or if you can just imagine, like, what, it, what is it like being on a team or what do you imagine it would be like being on a team where – you know, the players aren't bought in. The players are questioning everything that goes on. They're questioning what players call, you know, how they're being coached. You know, what can that do to a team? Man, I played on a 1-11 team in college, and I played on a 2-10 team in college. And, and both of, I would say the 1-11 team was probably the team that, that we had those questions. People were questioning the defensive calls. People were questioning the offensive calls. Um, and when you have that, you have a lot of um, young guys, as myself, you watch you, – you really look for look up to the older guys and to figure out what's the best way. How do I conduct myself? And we got a lot of older guys um, who sit there and say, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? You got young guys who are going to think, oh, it's okay for me to do. And when you got a, a team that's, you know, not on the same page like that, it, it can really, really hurt, um, you know, the chemistry of the whole team, not just offense or defensively, because you know, the offense is bought in, but the defense is over there questioning every single call that gets called or questioning why they're not playing or players aren't happy with the role they're in. Then, you know, you, you get the 2-10 and ten seasons, as I had in college, or the 1-11 seasons that you have, um, that I had. Um, but I don't see that here at all. I, we got a lot of people who believe in the coaching staff, a lot of people who believe in the schemes that we run going to the games with, which is awesome. Um, I, I, I truly enjoy every day coming to work because I have a lot of people who buy into to what is, is being shown to us and the, the game plans are going to the games with. Last question for me: Your first road game as an NFL player. Do you get up for these? Do you get like kind of excited because you're going in and you're going to get booed and the crowd is going to be going after you? Do you get kind of into that? I mean, I, for me, it's just another game. Um, I, I always I keep hearing everybody talk about you know, going on the road, going on the road, going on the road. I mean, I'm pretty sure the same is true for a lot of a lot of people in here. It's, we're playing we're playing fo a football game. It doesn't really matter. Yet yeah, the crowd's gonna be louder. Yet yeah, we have to change some some things with how we communicate uh, offensively. But you know, it's it's we're playing the game, and if you know the game plan and you go and execute it, there shouldn't be any question. There shouldn't be any worry of oh, we're playing on the road. Um, this, they're gonna be loud. You know, you shouldn't have to worry about those things because you're able to um, play fast when you know what you're supposed to be doing. 
last couple of games you've had comeback drives in the fourth quarter for the offense. What's the level of confidence in that huddle knowing that, hey, we've done this a couple of times before. We know we can do it again if you face that scenario Sunday. Every time we step on the field, we know we can go. We have the potential to go down and score. We don't step on the field and say, hey, let's go three and out right here, or step on the field and say, hey, we're going to go kick a field goal. Step on the field as an offense and we say, hey, we're going to go put six on the board right now. And I think that, like I said earlier, we have the weapons to do that um, every, in every aspect of our offense. We have the weapons to step on the field and go score points. And, and that's, I, that's, I think that's one thing that we all see as an offense as a whole. I asked this question to Bradley Chubb yesterday. I'm going to ask the same thing to you. Um, how do you compare your actual experience of being in the NFL, being with the Denver Broncos, to what you thought it was going to be like back when you were in college? Shoot, you hear a lot of things about what to expect when you get into the NFL. Um, I had a lot of a lot of older guys who played at SMU who come back and and tell me different things about their experiences. Um, but I'm, I think it's every it's just like everything in life. Uh, no one's experiences ever the same. No no two experiences ever the same. So the things that I heard, you know. I took them and I, I kind of was like, okay, but I knew that I was going to take it as whatever happens to me happens to me. I'm just going to grow into it. Um, I've just been taking it day by day. I, I don't think that there's been really too many things that I, w I was like, oh, wow, this surprised me. Um, I, I just take it there. I, everybody everybody here is, is all bought into the same goal, and I think that's the biggest thing is we got a team bought into the same goal. Nobody, You don't really have to worry about the, the nonsense that some teams have to deal with of, you know, the distractions. We don't, we don't have to worry about that because everybody here is bought into the I, the, the goal of we're going to go win the Super Bowl. And so I think that's the thing that helps um, and the thing that kind of kept me from being surprised coming into the, to the situation I'm in. Good stuff. Thanks, Cortland. Yeah, appreciate it. The football nerd in me loved his answer about film watching, and that just shows how he will leave no stone unturned as he tries to get better at this level. Finally, it's Ring of Famer Simon Fletcher who talks about the Broncos and offers some candid comments about what he thinks of penalties like the one called on Green Bay's Clay Matthews for a hit on Minnesota quarterback Kirk Cousins last week. Let's get to uh, Broncos Ring of Famer Simon Fletcher joining us here on the program. Simon, you're on with Ryan Edwards, Andrew Mason, and Steve Atwater. How are you, Mr. sir? Fletch. I'm great. How's everybody? We're, We're doing fantastic. Good, it's... You're, you're great because our team's 2-0. <laughs> that's the only answer right? it does help it, it, it definitely helps and uh we'll, we'll take them however they come and simon we were just talking about uh the way the defense played in this game and uh, vance joseph kind of critical after the fact saying that we, we they weren't aggressive enough the broncos weren't aggressive enough on defense uh is as you watched the game or or as you uh looked at uh how how that game broke down how did you feel like the defense played I thought the defense played uh, beneath their capabilities, but I also felt like as a team, everybody stayed into it until it was over and that was a difference maker. How do you think Bradley Chubb is doing so far? He's in his second regular season professional game, and I think he's doing well. It's, it's still a learning experience for him. Right now there's a little bit of thought, and there will be for the foreseeable future, but he has the tools and the mentality that once that light goes off and he realizes that he can play this game at this level and be a great contributor, I think Bradley Chubb is going to be the guy we're talking about when Von Miller's near the end of his career in a few years. So Simon, what I mean, what what are what adjustments do edge rushers have to make coming out of college to to make the adjustment to be, you know, a a great 
edge rushers like you and Von Miller were? Well, I think a key thing is that you have to read on the run because a lot of teams, when they're facing uh, excellent uh, edge rushers, what they'll do is they'll do stutter plays, they'll do draw plays to try and keep you honest. So I think that's part of uh, Bradley's deal is you have to have enough game experience that you get a feel for when the lineman's giving you the outside edge and uh, when he's trying when he's trying to lead you away from the actual play. And those things will come with time. Uh, for me, when, when I played, one of the greatest advantages is having a guy on the other side who is capable so you're not chasing quarterbacks clear across the field. So when you have a Simon, duo. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, Simon, Derek Carr completed 29 of 32 passes for 288 yards against the Broncos, getting the ball out extremely fast, more or less uh, taking away some of that edge rush and the pass rush of the Broncos, of course, is their strength of their defense. Do you feel as though the Raiders may have tipped a little bit of what uh, the defense is uh, going to be schemed for the rest of the season, and how should the Broncos respond to it? Well, I think they absolutely uh, disclosed that, but uh, I was concerned about it as soon as we lost the lead. Uh, not only was he a great player who could make big pick-six type plays, but he was also inspiration in the no-fly zone. So I don't expect, uh, nor do I think it's reasonable for anybody to expect him to make up for that loss in two games. But if you can win your first two without him, the rest will come along, provided, as Coach Joseph alluded to in his interview, that we're going to definitely address it and work on it. So. I think they'll be fine in the long run. The Raiders showed a weakness, and I guarantee you for the next three, perhaps five weeks or the remainder of the season, they will be attacking that secondary. Simon, as a former pass rusher, what do you think when you see like Clay Matthews getting a penalty for putting too much of his weight on Kirk Cousins, even though it's not a late hit, it's in the target area from the shoulders to the hips? and yet he's still getting a penalty because he happens to fall on him wrong. Well, my, my, my gut tells me that if something doesn't change with calls like that, football is going to be ruined as we've known it. Uh, how, how does a guy who's going full speed, he's got, a, he's got a, the guy in his sights, he's made his decision, and he's ready to make a form tackle, uh, how, how do you then adjust? where you hit the guy based on how he runs or how hit, how hard you fall. He fell that he fell as hard as he did because of his weight and his speed. I don't think it was anything intentional. And referees are going to have to be schooled and there's going to need to be some rules changing or it won't be football that we've been accustomed to watching. Yeah, I agree with that. Now Fletch, we had a poll question up today. Wanted to get your get your um thoughts on it. Uh can the Broncos continue to win if Case Keenum's leadership and clutch ability, that's one of the words that Ryan made up, is okay. a bigger factor in games than his quarterback statistics? Yes or no? Well, each, each game, as you, know, as you all know, each game is different depending on uh, you know what the score is, who's got the final drive, and uh, whose team is healthy. However, uh, Case Keenum showed that he's going to be out there trying to win a football game until the final whistle. And with that attitude, I like their chances in most of their contests. So the answer is yes. 
The answer is absolutely. I think I think it can win some games. Do I think it'll get you a Super Bowl championship? Uh, I'm not so sure on that. Okay, now let me ask it this way. If Case Keenum has 32 interceptions, will we continue to win? Well, if he has 32 interceptions and 70 touchdowns, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> now, that's the answer. I like it. I like it. Now, that's the answer. <laughs> that's a great answer. <laughs> All right, Simon, that, that, that's the better answer. No, you. That, I like it. I, like I, it. I actually appreciate that Steve asked that in a non-leading way the first time around. Because one of the reasons why that Steve voted no on that poll question, same with Andrew Mason. I voted yes, by the way. But the reason why they both voted no on it is because they said, well, look, because he keeps turning the ball over, that's going to be a problem for the Broncos. And, and he can't always dig himself out of those holes. No, we said he can't keep. We didn't say he's, he keeps. We said he can't continue. He's averaging two interceptions per yeah. game. That's what you're saying. So I'm not, I'm not phrasing it differently. I'm just saying he that did. you said – Anyways, the, the, the point of it is, is if he curbs that, if he, can, if he can not turn the ball over at that rate, but still have, you know, pretty average numbers, because in the end, in, in Minnesota, he passed for 3,500 yards, 22 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. Those are pretty average numbers. And how many games? That was, uh, that was in 13 games, if oh, I remember okay. correctly. Yeah. So if he, if, he, if he does that, it, can he still win with, that, with his mentality? And it sounds like you're saying yes, like I am. I am saying yes. When you consider all the other factors, defense improving each week, and uh, I think our running game coming along and being a big factor in, in the outcome of games. And also, we can't forget, uh, they just finished an abbreviated training camp. They had a couple OTAs, and so he's still getting familiar with his receivers and how they run routes. And I look for marked improvement by week four or five. Now, for this team and where it's going, how much did it help them out long-term that they were able to win two close games in the clutch, coming back both times, even though maybe it's not as impressive as some people would like? Do you actually get more from those types of wins than just, say, winning by 20? Absolutely. I think you have a more positive attitude in practice when you're working on the things that you could have done better in, in those uh, narrow victories. I think when your confidence is up based on W's and L's, because 30 years from now, nobody will remember the score. They'll just remember that you started the season 2-0 and and went on to win the AFC West and whatever's after that. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a benefit to win as opposed to narrowly losing them. Just a couple more questions here for you. Simon Fletcher, Broncos Ring of Famer, joining us here on the hotline. What do you think about the performance so far of Philip Lindsay? Uh, he set an <laughs> NFL record for an undrafted player, uh, having uh, over 100 yards from scrimmage in the first two games. It, it's something where you, you think about the way the Broncos won these first two games. I don't know if they do that, and that came from an uh, – they don't do it if, without him, and that came from an undrafted player. What have you noticed from him that you like? What I notice about him is he absolutely loves competition and he loves playing the game of football, and he shows it every opportunity. He's the kind of guy whose enthusiasm for being out there is very contagious, and when it catches on, you'll have a team that's tough to contend with. How much can rookies help the team? And kind of looking back on it, how much did some of the rookies that came in as you became a veteran in your career 
help, you know, kind of like a guy like Atwater when he came in 89? When Atwater came in, uh, <clears throat> the jury was out until he performed a few weeks. <laughs> we, we, used to we used to tease Steve about his lack of flexibility. We used to have a pregame pre stretch where you were supposed to reach down and grab your toes and pull your back and stretch it out. Steve would just tilt his head forward and consider that a stretch. <laughs> Fletch, come on, man. That's cool. indeed. Come on, Fletch. The one thing that you know about rookie players from the first few practices is this guy has the toughness, he has the mentality, and the guy is willing to put in the work to constantly uh, improve on his play. And that's the thing that you see in a Steve Atwater. That's something I saw in Rod Smith, Shannon Sharp. Uh, and a number of other guys. Terrell Davis, the very first practice in training camp, I told Michael Dean Perry, I said, this guy is going to be all world just because of the way he hit the hole and then burst down the field 25 yards after every play. Yeah, no, so when you when you see him, and, and it also it, it lifts the, the play of your veteran players to see a young guy come in and, and make it happen like that because you're still playing for job security. Yeah. So, Fletch, um, you know, a lot of talk uh, been going on about Demarius Thomas, and he had a, he had a few drops, and you know, people are ready to throw him to the wolves. That's my man. though. I'm not giving up on him. Uh, what What are your thoughts on DT? And um, you know, we we know that he has to make the catch. He knows he has to make those catches. Um, what are you, What are your thoughts on that whole situation now? Well, uh, I don't. I don't think under any circumstance that you consider getting rid of Demarius Thomas uh, this season, or, or perhaps in, over the next few seasons, because of his potential. And he'll come around. As much as other people criticize a guy like Demarius, he is questioning himself, and he's more upset with himself than ten armchair right, quarterbacks on a Monday morning could ever be. So yep. I, th I think he's no. mature enough. He, he's got enough faith in his skill that he'll correct the, his mistakes. Good stuff from Simon, of course, who always speaks his mind with passion and candor, which, frankly, we love. Now, a final few words about this game. There are plenty of trends working against the Broncos. Start with their recent road record, a ghastly 1-9 in their last 10 road trips, including 1-7 last year. This is their worst road stretch since they went 1-11 in a run that spanned from December 2009 through October 2011. Then you have the Broncos' historical form against the Ravens in Baltimore. Including the postseason, Denver is 1-5 against them there with losses in 2000, 2002, 2003, 2009, and 2010. Their only win? December 2012 in Week 15. None of those games were closer than 11 points, and even in that 2002 defeat, the Broncos fell behind 31-0 at halftime before making it respectable. Denver's average margin of defeat in those losses, an unsightly 17.8 points. This Broncos team wants to show that it's different. What better way can they do that than by bucking history, whether it's recent history or long-term history? Tune in to KOA News Radio 850 and 94.1 FM on Sunday at 11 a.m. to find out if the Broncos can turn that history on its ear. Thanks to Paul Klee, Ryan Edwards, Steve Atwater, Cortland Sutton, and Simon Fletcher for joining me this week. I'm Andrew Mason. Talk to you next time on Horsin' Around. 
This has been another edition of Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horsin' Around.